You are a part of the lucky 10,000 with your host, Evan. Hey guys, welcome to the Lucky 10,000. This is what I like to call an in-betweener. This is an in-between season episode. While we are getting ready to be recording a lot of interviews for our next season on Famous Battles from History, I felt that it was important in, in this time to get a perspective that I know I don't have and a lot of other people might not have who hopefully hear this about what's going on in the world right now. So before I actually bring my guest on, I just wanted to sort of try and relate my own personal experiences growing up as a white man in the South, and this is by no means saying that the South is the only place that have dealt that has dealt with racism. I think uh, Malcolm X said it best when he said, "If you're south of the Canadian border, you're south." But I can relate as a white man what I experienced. Uh, you know, my earliest recollection of uh, anyone being racist. You know, I was very lucky that I came from a split home that was sort of half conservative, half liberal. So I got to see both sides of many issues, but uh, I definitely heard my share of epithets tossed around casually before I could understand what was being said and what was going on. I can remember being in a restaurant, and uh, it was a restaurant that uh, normally was had only white people in it, and a bus of young black teenagers parked in, probably touring somewhere, high schoolers, I don't know. They came into the restaurant, and they weren't causing any problems, they weren't being disrespectful to anyone but uh, i remember a guy leaning over to my father at the time and saying he had to leave the restaurant because it's quote getting a little dark in here um when i was a teenager i drove through a clan rally on you know main street greer right across from city hall um i remember when the malcolm x movie came out a lot of minority students in our high school started wearing the malcolm x shirt it was a black shirt with a white x on it and in response a lot of the white kids in our school started wearing T-shirts that said uh, had a Confederate flag on it and said, uh, you have your ex, I have mine. And I couldn't wrap my head around it. I, I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't put my finger on what because I just didn't understand the context of everything. I definitely have not reacted the way I should have in some of those situations, um, be it youth, be it ignorance, be it afraid of confrontation. I don't know. Uh, just a couple of years ago, they were doing a Lincoln exhibit at the uh, Upstate Country Museum. And uh, I would pull into the theater across the street from it to go to work. And there were three or four people protesting in robes. And it always struck me as something that I thought was a sign of a dying movement, something that was happening less and less. But if anything, in these past few weeks, we've seen that it's not dying off the way we hoped it would. I still think the majority of people understand that racism is wrong. But what I've seen and the arguments I've had online and the constant barrage of stories showing that there is still a group of people in this country that are looked at as second class citizens, looked at as, as somehow inferior, it's maddening it's disheartening and it's exhausting and if i'm exhausted i can only imagine how the discussions and the arguments i've been having this past week some people have been having their whole lives 
So in respect of that, I want to get someone, I wanted to get someone on the show who could share their perspective and someone that I know decently well, but, uh, I don't know a lot about his past or what he's been through and I want to hear it. And I think everyone should hear it. And before we introduce him, I want to point you to his podcast. It's called the There It Is podcast. And it's, uh, it's a great podcast in general. But the most recent episode, especially, uh, he talks about his experiences and what allies can do to help. And it's really beautiful. It's really well said. And I'm so happy he said yes to coming on the show because I know that it's been a rough week for everybody. But it, like I say, as much as I feel like I'm sad and I'm angry and all this other stuff, it really crystallizes how our friends – our, our minority friends, our gay friends, our transgender friends, this is every day for them. So, Jason Farr, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Evan. I really appreciate that. And, um, you know, like giving people a chance to share their words and experience is really necessary. Um, I'm sure you've been hearing since you're in the entertainment world, a lot of people have been saying for a long time that representation matters. Yes. And uh, they say that in the context of who's in the boardroom and uh, who's who's making the decisions on who's going to be on the cover of a magazine or on the billboard for a movie or uh, be the face of a network and um, who's going to be on the shows and who, who who's going to direct them, who's going to write them. And that's representation. Right. But the reality is, and that's, that's obviously great. Uh, I'm not trying to say a but to that, but, um, I do want to point out that a part of representation involves the space that you're in. And if there's something that was written and directed by a black director, there are people who need to hear what the experience of black people is who will never be interested in seeing that movie. Right. In other words, their voice can't be heard in that space. And uh, the reason it's been so important for white people to get involved in this fight, this anti-racist fight and this fight to dismantle white supremacy is because we have been talking for a long time about it, but people who did not want to hear us and didn't hire us, didn't let us around. Uh, they were never listening. And when they sometimes heard something, they would shout it down. We weren't allowed in their space. Right. Um, I thought that was a, you, you made that point so beautifully on that episode. And I've you. heard so many people say things that just in the past week that put a new perspective on things that I, as considering myself a liberal progressive guy, never occurred to me. Right. And, you know, two things, you know, the reference you're making to my episode of my podcast is, for one, colorism. I'm light skinned. Mm -hmm. And while I have faced prejudice and I've faced the system just like anyone else um, who's black, um, um, I, I haven't gotten the volume or the... Uh, or the uh, just like the intensity of the racism that darker skinned black people have gotten. Right. So you tell means... a story on that episode about yeah. going to the grocery store with some white friends. And mm -hmm. I won't go into it in depth because I really think you guys should listen to this episode of his podcast. 
But what surprised me the most was how the white people around you felt like well, it was okay. Two the two of them, right. Not all of yeah. them. But they felt like it was almost safe to act that way with mm-hmm. you in the car. Right. And it's sort of like, you know, some people think I'm ambiguous. You know, they're like, well, some people are like, obviously he's black, he's just light skinned. And some people are like, well, he's mixed. And some people are like, maybe he's just something else. Or maybe he just has a tan. Right. right? And like those are, uh, because of that, there are people who allowed me in their space. And so there's like part of the reason I've been so outspoken this week is because it, it seems like people are willing to listen, but also people are, there are people who, uh, have allowed me in their space who need to hear it. And they haven't allowed people who look like George Floyd in their space. Right. So they're not hearing it from them. Right. And so like to so many people, Black Lives Matter is something that they've heard about only on television, only in the news. Like that is their perspective. They haven't gone to any websites. They haven't spoken to any members. They haven't spoken to any organizers. So because they haven't let any of them in their space. And so it's kind of it's incumbent upon me because of colorism to to speak to it. But in. And the the second thing I was going to say was, in the same way, white people can go anywhere in America. Mm. And because of that, because any space is welcome to white people, white people who want to be anti-racist have to share anti-racist ideals, anti-white supremacist ideals everywhere they go because they have a wider reach. And uh, and that's just the thing of it. And I know some people may not know what colorism is, but it's basically it's basically like light skinned black people being treated better than dark skinned black people right, in certain exactly. situations. Now that's not to say we don't still get eyes when we go in the store or followed around or cops. I mean, there's a tennis player, uh, something Blake. Uh, this was years ago. He was. At outside of a hotel, leaning casually against a wall on his cell phone. He looks like me. He has my my complexion. He's light skin. And he's just like on his cell phone, just texting very casually. And a cop just hauls off and tackles him. And it turns out it's some sort of mistaken identity situation. But that's an episode of police brutality. And so it you don't only have to be dark to face that kind of police brutality. But it happens way more right. to, to people who are darker than it does to lighter skinned people. Yeah, and, you and know, going like, back and to I, your point yeah. about colorism, I want to make I want to say something I heard last night that uh, really was a perspective I hadn't heard. Uh, Christopher Parker, I guess it's okay I can shout these guys out. I'll make sure before I publish the episode. But uh, he's been doing he's a local uh, black actor and he's been doing uh, these uh, Zoom live panels with a group of black theater uh, employees, actors, choreographers who are all talking about, you know, how the theater world can better embrace them. And one of his mm-hmm. guests said the most beautiful thing about colorblind casting. She was talking about how uh, when people tell her they want to, and I probably won't say it nearly as well as she did, but when they want to sort of colorblind cast in a show, she goes, I get, I get where it's coming from. 
but I want to celebrate my blackness. I don't right. want, I, I want it. That's a part of me and I'm going to bring it with me. Right. Right. I mean, um, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's a complicated thing in the black community colorism and it's not something that one group is doing to the other, even though there is some like infighting sure. that can happen, but all of it is a symptom of white supremacy. It is not some separate thing from white supremacy. Colorism wouldn't exist if white supremacy did not exist. Right. So it's, it's just, it's such an important thing to not look at it as, well, this is a little better than that ever. But that sort of stuff has happened so much in the, in the community that it's heartbreaking and, uh, and it won't really end until white supremacy ends. And so it's really just important that everyone speak out from their privilege. And it's, I mean, it just comes down to something a friend of mine said to me and he was, I won't share his story because it's his story, but something that he's experienced and he's mostly Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. Um, he was saying that, uh, he's a quarter black, um, but he's mostly Puerto Rican. And so he gets it from, uh, the perspective of a person of color in America who also at one point lived in the South. And he was saying he hopes what comes from all of this is People realizing that not speaking out on uh, not being actively anti-racist will contribute to racism. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, like I say, I've had more than enough chances in my life to do that. And for whatever reason, because I didn't understand the context of the conversation, I didn't understand the buzzwords. I didn't understand sort of the hidden language of racism or I, I'll be honest, I was just scared. I was scared to get into a confrontation. I didn't act as I should have. And, yeah. you know, yeah. I think it's time That's, to put that behind us. I think so, because we've been dealing with this for as long as we have. So, like, I mean, there are a lot of black people who are still very frustrated and I'm I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm sad and I'm burnt out. Yeah. Um, I mean, COVID did, did a number on us anyway. I mean, just, just the fact that we have to stay in alone and I wasn't even sick, but just the fear that that brings. Yeah. And then to have to reprocess these, this sort of, I mean, it's, it's just white supremacy that we're reprocessing. It's not even police brutality. Right. Because a lot of people are making this, saying you know they're 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 continuously hitting the drum of defund defund the police and i understand where they're coming from but they understand that it wasn't police who killed ahmad arbery right like this isn't a matter of well once we change the police system things will be better no no that's actually not enough that's nowhere near enough because the government is used against us, not mm. just the police force, the justice system, and not just the police force and the justice system, but just society. Well, the fact that the guys that killed Ahmad can't be processed, prosecuted under hate crime legislation because there is none in right. Georgia right, should tell you a lot of what has been happening. And I feel like it's been happening in increments and all of a sudden – 
and please correct me if I'm wrong because I just don't have the same life experiences, but all of a sudden it's been this explosion. It's almost like this thing has been building with these people trying to get into positions of power, trying to get into, into law enforcement. And of course we're saying not all cops are bad. That's a, a blanket statement that we have to say, but there's an authoritative quality to that job that has appealed to a lot of people who want to get in there and change the system against minorities. And yeah, that I, all stems know, from white supremacy. I think I think people's eyes are being opened to it differently than they were before because all of the things that happen now happened in the 1960s. Right. In the in the 1950s and and since. So, and before that time. Do you think well, the biggest obviously. difference is how things are documented now? That's some of it. Uh, Will Smith said it's not that um things are more violent, it's just getting filmed. Right. Um and that's sort of where I come at uh, speaking on this, particularly to people who are kind of now figuring this stuff out. And it's maybe a controversial statement and it's maybe not something easy to hear. But where have people been? Right. Trayvon Martin was killed eight years ago. And there maybe wasn't footage, but there was audio mm-hmm. of 911 calls and there you know there were pictures you know there were things and then mike brown was years ago too i mean these these uh, terrible situations have been filmed for years and people are now saying hey this isn't right and so why why now and i think it's the reason i i am still willing to say that despite that might be a hard thing, a hard pill to swallow for some people. It might even anger some people, but I think it's important to say because it's important to know, to like search yourself and know why you took so long to say anything about this sort of stuff. Because, you know, yeah, everyone heard about lynchings, but that seemed like ages ago and there wasn't relatable. And then they heard about Martin Luther King Jr. being excuse me, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. being assassinated. And you know, that also seems unrelatable because it happened so long ago and it feels like our past. But when we're seeing it you know, happening now and have been seeing it happening in the present for years, uh, because they're cell phone videos of it. I don't really know what the reason would be why it did, why this didn't happen years ago. I mean, I wish I could say, uh, I remember, I being, don't know that anyone could. I remember being upset about Trayvon Martin, but obviously something has turned the tides on this situation recently to where it's not even just isolated, it's all over the world. This has sparked a fire that has, that has, you know, in other countries, you're seeing people protest George Floyd. And it's just like, yeah, what was the catalyst? How did we get to this point? How did it take so long for so many people, myself included, to go, yeah. wow, this really is worse than I ever thought it could be? Uh, and that's white privilege. That's me yeah. as a, you know, never been like, I've always been like lower middle class. I've never lived high on the hog, but that just also goes to show that 
there's still two different worlds that mm-hmm. people live in, even mm-hmm. when they know people. Even, you know, I'm so lucky to have gotten into the theater community because it opened my eyes to minorities of all kinds. Mm-hmm. Gay, straight, trans, black, every color, every creed. Mm-hmm. And so you get insulated in that. You get, yeah. you know, it's your own little bubble where people, for the most part, are treated humanely. And if somebody comes in with a fucked up opinion, people are going to take them to task for it because we have the numbers there. Yeah, I think, and and I'm just sort of unpacking this right now, um, and I think it'll just take a while for for people in your position to unpack this, and this isn't something that you're going to figure out in this week, and that's another no. reason why it's so important to continue this work. But I think maybe one reason that eyes are being open to it now is that it's because it's because people's lives are more diverse than they were maybe 10 years ago. Right. Um, and so with that, it became less outside of your bubble. Like, you know, when if, if your friend tells you something that they're going through, that's really, really sad. You can, when you're talking to them, be heartbroken. But the moment you get off the phone, the moment you're away from them, you can sort of, Say like, oh, you know, well, that's not my back to my life. Yeah, right. You know, it's not my you're not, you know, obviously being this uh, uh, crass and saying like, well, that's their problem. But essentially, because it's not a personal situation you're going through, you can go back to your life and just be. I think that's how people were able to treat race relations in, in America, because they didn't have as much diversity, not only in their friend group, but just in what they consumed. Right. And that's, again, why representation matters, because now people are starting to be able to relate maybe more. And it's still, though, it's still, though, I think going to be important to figure out why before the humanity of marginalized people in this country wasn't more respected when well, we I'll tell you what I story. think helps as well is people like you speaking their truths online because yeah. I think you're right when you have a friend that's going through something you can have a conversation with them and you could say hey man I'll, I'm here for you I hope it gets better that's one isolated incident and you can sort of like you say when it's done right. you can walk away from it you go on back to life when you see so many people you know who are finding strength in talking about their own stories and what their lives have been like and how this whole thing is affecting them. And it fills your feed every day. Mm -hmm. And then you see people that you thought would be receptive to that be Mm -hmm. worse than you ever thought imaginable Mm -hmm. as far as the kind of things that they say in response. It it is one of those things where you can't just walk away. You can't just say I'm back to my life because it's if you care about anybody and you see all of these, it'd be like if every single friend you had came to you at once and said what the problems were and what they were going through. You couldn't just walk away after that conversation. Right. It's all over your feed now. So it's hard to ignore. Yeah. I mean, that's that's true. I will say, though, like many years ago, I shared a story about racism that wasn't personal to me, but I was just saying, like, this is an example of racism. And it was primarily met with uh, disagreement, I feel like, yeah. like, like most of the conversation. There were way more people who agreed, but there were so many people who were willing to argue. Right. And even people 
Like there was somebody I basically in conversation had to like convince that maybe he should just listen and not try to tell me what racism is. Like that's <laughs> like, like that's so often that I over the course of the last eight years where I had to say, hey, I'm talking about what racism is like for a black person and you're white and you're a man and you're condescending to me about what racism actually is. Um, and then they kind of like realized what they said, but like that's gotten better, but there's still a couple of knuckleheads out there, but there always will be. But mm -hmm. I just, I just, I guess the shock that I am going through right now is how many of them there are. Right. And <laughs> Way I, more I than do I thought. think, I think some of it, um, is a matter of like Trump getting yeah. elected because as soon as he got elected, there were a lot, a number of stories of, People saying like uh, they started getting more uh, having having more aggressive incidents. Well, they're emboldened, almost. Right. They yeah. were. Yeah. And I know a lot of people in South Carolina who still want to support him um, will push back on my saying that. But like this is what our experience was. I right. mean, the there's a friend of mine. She is uh, much darker than I am, and she was driving down the road, and the day after the election in 2016, someone just, for no reason, she didn't like, this was, there was no sort of road rage situation. He just rolled his window down and called her a nigger. Wow. You know, just out of nowhere, just like angry. And then she had some other situations and some other black people I know uh, had shared some stories on Facebook of people feeling emboldened to say just out of nowhere, say things and say like, oh, you know, Trump's going to get rid of y'all. Trump's going to get you all out of here. And I think that maybe opened some people's eyes too, like hearing about those stories because they just didn't know. They thought it was in the past. Right. And so I think – um and I think even like the uptick of racism during Obama's administration, um, maybe started to plant uh, a seed for people to figure out that maybe things are worse. But during his administration, people always just argued with me about racism and I had to like it, like it wasn't a real thing. Um, or, or just belittled any story of just like, well, but you don't know what their heart is or that's not technically right. You know, just like whatever uh, condescending stuff. And that was like throughout his, his, uh, presidency. But now I think, um, there, maybe it, like you were saying, like it's just been a buildup to something, but it's what it feels like. But again, I don't know because I'm not in your shoes or any other minority shoes. The closest thing I can say that I understand is that, you know, I, I, I Tell people I'm not 100% straight. I'm heteroflexible. But even then, I have not had to experience what out gay people have had to experience because I've never, you know, walked down the street holding my boyfriend's hand and had somebody drive up beside me for no right. reason and call me a faggot, which right. I know people that have had to endure that. So right. what was your childhood like? I mean, what do you remember the first time in your life that you thought I'm being judged and I don't understand what it's for? My parents did make us aware of racism and I always just knew, you know, I'm black and I'm one of the only people like me around. Um, and, and when I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina, I mean, there was like, 
it was a very predominantly white school. Um, which is ironic because there's a picture of me from second grade that I have out. I have like, I think even posted it with my podcast and it's like mostly black kids in the picture. I was like, that seems like all the black kids that were in this, <laughs> in my grade. Um, but, uh, you know, I do remember when I was like five or six, when my dad had taken us to like the Y a couple of times. One day we were driving down the road and we see this big, spacious, nice looking place. And I was like, Oh, you know, what's that, daddy? And he was like, Oh, it's a country club. He was like, Not really. As looking back, I could tell he didn't really want to talk about that place. What was it? well, he said it's a country club, and I said, "Well, why why haven't we gone there?" And he just said, "Because they won't let black people there." Wow. And that was, I think, personally. So they never believed in trying to shield you from this stuff. No, I think I'm sure to a certain extent because my mom wouldn't want to watch movies that were about, um, she, like Mississippi Burning or right. She did see. The Color Purple, and I saw that, but those are very hard movies for her to watch because she lived through some stuff, you know, like she, both of my parents were in their 20s when they got their civil rights. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing. There's so many people who, who are alive right now, who, who were, who most of their life, they were never really treated like a person. You know, it's interesting. I and, saw uh, years ago Al Sharpton was on an episode of The Daily Show, and it shows you how long ago it was because it was still Jon Stewart. And mm. they got into a conversation about race and had found out uh, – I think Sharpton had just discovered that uh, he had uh, – you know, that his family had been slaves and owned by slaves. And I think there was some relation to a, a white senator. I can't remember all the details. But they did the math as far as like how long ago – slavery was still an institution and it's only a couple of generations like from Sharpton right. back it was only like two generations to where people still owned other people in this country we right. like to Look, think of it as distant history but it's not it's not because i a couple of summers ago i started trying to do the ancestry.com stuff and and just find history and i i can't go past great grandparents because quite frankly they didn't give a shit right about there's no records tabs on us they're not re- like i think the oldest thing i saw was a slave record of just like you know not, not even like i mean it was just like we were fucking cattle basically reading that that shit i mean it wasn't like full names or anything. It was just such bullshit. You know, it was just, that's as far back as I can go to find out any sort of information. And like, then it's just a dead end. Uh, So I don't, there's so much of my history that I don't know. And that's a great grandparent. That's not like someone who was alive in the, you know, like 400 years ago or something like that. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how I'd really be able to find out accurate information. I know you could do like the DNA thing, but that's just going to be based on who else has done it, which is going to be a bunch of white people. There are not a lot of Native Americans around to 
connect that lineage to me, which is apparently in my history. But how am I supposed to find that information out? There's, that's never going to happen for me. And I, I, I know there are some people, because people said this stuff in South Carolina, they would be like, ah, it was a long time ago, you know, like, but that was so long ago. It's, but that's easy for you to say. Well, it's also the same people that are flying the Confederate flag, and it's also the same people that will right. argue all day about right. the Civil War being about states' rights. Right, and it's like, okay, well, that's so wrong, long ago. Why are you flying that flag? Yeah, right. you know, like, why are you still talking about it? If I, if I can't talk about it, you stop talking about it. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, they just – it's not really that. It's just that they don't care. I mean, like, I knew a guy in high school – when I was saying like I was, he was white, and I was like, he, I liked him. Yeah, and he was like genuine and concerned. When I was saying I, I was offended by the Confederate flag, he was like, but, but um, isn't it like I, I thought it was just heritage, like it's just heritage, right? Like it's just about like being from the South, like that's all he was told. But the reality is, and this is one of the problems with history lessons in public schools, is they leave out all of this footage of black kids going to what was a white school for the first time and all these people surrounding one little girl Mm -hmm. with Confederate flags saying, my kids aren't going to go to school with a nigger. Right. That's blatant hate, and it has nothing to do with heritage. Like, here's the thing. When Colin Kaepernick, when these protesters that they protest, when somebody says, I don't like the Confederate flag because of what it stands for, because it was used during the Civil War and used during as a thumb in the eye to the Civil Rights Movement, people got viciously angry. So, like, people are getting viciously angry because it's in the fabric of their thinking. Mm -hmm. If somebody says, hey, police brutality is wrong, and a bunch of cops who weren't even accused of roughing someone up too much or killing somebody get angry, and they start attacking protesters, that tells you where their thinking is. Right. They think policing is using brute force that's what they think it is other like why else would you get that angry right like if somebody was saying like when somebody says i you know gang violence is terrible i i wish i wish there were no gangs i don't get personally offended because to me being a gang member isn't synonymous with being black right but so see, if, that's part of that I'm, hidden language, though, is that when I hear right. people talk about the, the, the looters, right? you know that, A, there's been plenty of evidence in the past few days pointing to, you know, white supremacist groups starting a lot of the violence in order to right. make the Black Lives Matter protests look bad. Right. But also, these people wouldn't, I guarantee you, they would never admit it. But it's yeah. just like the president's tweet about thugs. There's a hidden language. Yeah. You say, oh, these awful looters. You're not right. talking about looters. I almost want only white people to go out and protest just to see how how things would get spoken about, just to see how it how 
Trump would talk about it, how the media would talk well, about it. I can tell you the two times I have seen it. white people riot and riot violently. The first time I saw white people riot violently was when a Metallica Guns N' Roses concert got canceled early. Mm. Um, I've seen white people riot when they're when their football team loses, you know, or when their hockey team wins. Right. I mean, that's happened so much in this country, right? Like those people don't call them thugs. They're like burning up stuff too. They're, they're turning over cars. Dude, they're there's smashing a shot. Windows, they're stealing stuff and nobody calls them thugs. No one acts like it's crazy. Exactly. Like, I mean, people may like distance it and say, Oh, they shouldn't be doing that violent behavior, but they don't talk about it the same way. The, yeah, they don't. And and they're just talking about their team winning or losing. Right. You know, it's not a serious thing that they're talking about. Nobody's like trying to get into the mindset of why somebody would do that. That's a time to actually do that, by the way. Like when a who cares? It's a it's a sport. It's a game. Yeah. There's and a people shot, are right. Because uh, I, I am talking about why. I am a Metallica fan. So I had this documentary about their 1991 tour and. They were doing this double bill concert with Guns N' Roses. Their singer got burned by one of the uh, pyrotechnics. And mm. then Guns N' Roses, because Axl Rose is a dick, just decided to end their set early because uh, his throat was bothering him. Well, next thing you know, there is footage of a police car overturned on fire with a white teenager standing on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's also privilege, you know? <laughs> like, right. Like, anarchists, I mean... I. I don't know, man. It's just there are some anarchists who are getting involved and they just hate cops. Yeah. And yeah, so that, true. you know, they're they're really pushing the like defund the police thing. But it, again, that's not the the way the police force is used against black people and and uh, and the you know, any sort of force is used against people of color is a symptom of white supremacy. Absolutely. So if you change, you can change the, you can get rid of the police force and put some other kind of authority in place or whatever. But as long as there's white supremacy, there's always going to be this brutality against blacks. And that's what it seems like. I think that's part of the reason that it is as shocking as it is that people are so outspoken now about their white supremacy, because I think what happened was, and I could be wrong. You probably know more about, history than i do but it seems like that. once it was well you're a smart dude you know history i'm sure you do <laughs> but um even though you wouldn't come on the other part of the podcast I you don't know about military history <laughs> anyway uh you know it, it does seem like there was a moment when we decided as a nation that outspoken racism is wrong so what ends up happening is people don't just stop being racist they start infiltrating the system they start right getting elected they right. start, you know, leading a, a police force. They start getting into the military. Though the military's response to this in the past few days has been kind of a breath of fresh air to me. But, uh. Yeah. Um, yeah, they are, there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. I mean, like some of the years ago, someone was pointing out how, and years ago and unrelated to race relations, someone was pointing out how, Police forces are filled with former army people. Right. And and some of them are just still in that army mindset. And it's like, that's this isn't that same thing. Like a war is different than 
going through the neighborhood and making sure no one's committing a crime. Oh, that's a really great point. I didn't think about it that way. It's but but that is an element of this. So you have people who are maybe like maybe experiencing PTSD. Maybe. And they're on the police force. And they're they're you know, I, I saw a video of a police officer right before they were gonna go out with uh I guess to like disperse protesters. And this guy was getting amped. Right. He was like he was gearing up for battle. And it's just sickening, you know, and I've seen videos of a guy who was prepping his his I guess his his uh police officers and he's he was saying don't kill them hit them hard don't kill them don't kill them just just hit them hard and there's so much wrapped up in that that's effed up oh yeah for you can say fucked it's fine <laughs> oh yeah i think i've already said it once yeah. but uh, <laughs> i try not to but that's that's an am- i have never heard it put that way or thought about that point is that these guys were trained to fight like yeah. trained to just yeah. go into an and, area and, this, and you see guy, the guy over the yeah. horizon that is the enemy and if you don't kill him he's gonna kill you yeah and this guy had to tell them don't kill them but he's also telling them to hit him hard it's like yeah but the whole reason they're out there is to is because you all want to do that because right. you want to even just hit them hard like it's just I don't know, and everyone's seen the the video or the the images of cops destroying water bottles and protesters stations just so, you know, it's just why would you do that? I mean, I heard a very weak defense of it because I saw that too. I think it was the one in North Carolina and was the the weak defense was what? It's just the if they can't have if they can't hydrate they're going to go home because we need people to go home (laughs) this this to me is very funny in that a lot of liberal people over the past few years have been called snowflakes because we seem to get offended very easily but these are police in riot gear and they said that they were destroying the water bottles so the water bottles couldn't be used as projectiles oh please (laughs) they're in fucking riot gear i mean one of the things i've been saying for a long time when, cause like the police get angry when you say police brutality is wrong and should end. They get mad and they get real like offended. And it's like literally all you have to do is agree that it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so like, do you just not think it's wrong? But it's also um, a weird like look inside their mentality because I think a lot right. of people have this blanket statement. All whites are this, all blacks are this. So when you say, if you're a person that can at least try to look at both sides of an issue and you say police brutality is wrong, they automatically think you're saying all cops should die. I guess, but there's still something mentally off about that. No, that's line my point. Thinking. Is that, that oh, I see. To, yeah. To make I a mean, blanket statement about anyone is a, is a, right. is a problem. I was at something where some, we were kind of what I was, I was there with an organization that was talking about how, police officers engage with uh with people and we were kind of on the side of like they could do it differently there are a couple of cops there and i knew one of them and i was like i kind of went over and was like would any of you want to address this because we didn't know they were going to be there and so the guy came up and spoke and he he went through why they do some of the things they do and and 
how it looks to them. And it's basically all about how they're trained. And my right. thought after that was, yeah, so here's the thing, police. You're trained to engage with people, but people are not trained to engage with the police on that level. Like black people are like black people will be trained um, how to engage with like when we're young, especially black men, we're, when we're young, people will tell us what you don't do around cops, what you should do instead just to keep you alive. Um, that's the most training that the average citizen gets, right? We don't get these like hours and hours of training like cops do where we like look at every little thing and it's, it means this or it means that. And so you do this. If they do that, then you just try to get their hands behind them. Right. All that normal kind of stuff. citizen has no idea that their physical right. actions or their reactions are exactly. all of a sudden setting this trigger off. Exactly. Like, how in the hell would we possibly know? So I was just sort of like, why don't they just figure that out and communicate with us? You know, like, I don't know. I've seen one or two videos where somebody who had committed a crime was trying to make a a claim of just like these you police officers are doing the wrong thing here. Um, And. I was watching the video and I was like, yeah, I guess the cops don't need to, like there are four of them now showing up with their guns drawn, but it's entirely because the guy is actively not listening to them. Right. But so it's just a video. A guy made a video of himself of, of like he and his buddy did something and the cops, he was just saying like, you have guns drawn to me and I was in the military and this is wrong. And I'm saying I'm scared and I know my rights and I'm scared for my life. And, and you have guns drawn to me and that's unnecessary. And the cops are actually. Other than the guns being up, their tone and the way they were speaking was pretty casual. And yeah. they were just like, we're just telling you to put the cell phone down and get on the ground. And there's a shot of his his buddy who was already on the ground and stayed on the ground and was complying. And this guy was just like not. And I, I think he probably had PTSD. Yeah. But um, the cops didn't have to have their guns drawn. But the guy said in the video, I know what we, I know what we did here is wrong and that we committed a crime, but, and I was like, oh, well, how else are they supposed to arrest you? Right. You know, it's like, so I get that that's a situation that the police could do a little different, differently, but also if you're caught, you're caught, you know, like, yeah, just, just get on like, the yeah, ground. Okay. Like he, they literally just said, get on the ground. I, I, I think I, there is some adjustment the police needed to make in that. Sure. Cause they don't, but because the guy obviously wasn't pointing a gun at them. Right. But, um, you know, like you have tasers, you got pepper spray. Like, I don't yeah, know. I don't you know why there aren't more videos stuff. of police going to that kind of stuff first. It right. always seems like their reaction is so over the line of what it needs to be in the moment. And I don't know what it's like to be a cop, but I don't know what it's like to be a black man. So all I can go with is yeah. what I've seen. It's like. Why not go to the pepper spray first? Pepper spray will put somebody down. Yeah. You know, like just all, all of that stuff, all of the things they have is supposed to just be there to get the person in handcuffs with their arms behind their back so they can't shoot them. Right. Like that's it. So there's no need to have four cops pointing a gun at one guy who's unarmed, who's clearly unarmed. Right. 
Um, there's no need for lethal four. There's no need to put your knee on somebody's neck for nine minutes. There's right. no mi- need for two police officers to have to be on top of someone and have him controlled and then still shoot him to death like right. they did Alton Sterling. Like that, I saw, unfortunately, saw that video. I couldn't sit through hearing George George Floyd for 14 seconds. And I, that was the most I could get through that video. But Alton Sterling's was enough of like an example for people of how the police are just frightened all the time. And who knows what else? And some of them just want to, I think a lot of them just want control. Right. You know, I mean, like people say a couple of bad eggs. Uh, these videos we're seeing at protests, that's not a couple of bad eggs. I think we got a couple of good eggs. I think we got a couple of good apples. Yeah. And a bunch of bad, rotten apples. Like there was that protest up in North Carolina where the cops kneeled in front of the protesters, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I thought was a beautiful thing. Of just There are sh- a lot of places where they're being peaceful. And, you know, the places where the protests have stayed peaceful? The places where the cops were not in riot gear. Right. So what do you think is causing this agitation? Right. That's a great point. It's it's just. We're all just real tired of like pointing the same thing out and and people not getting it. And um, police need to be held accountable for excessive force and and beyond. um, And. Uh, the, a lot of heads need the role and they need to stop being funded to have military grade weaponry, uh, to use on citizens, uh, uh, with their own tax money. Um, and a lot of that needs to change, but it can't really change how black people will be treated by authorities until Everyone realizes exactly what white supremacy is. Right. Well, I wanted to ask you, one of the main reasons, too, I wanted to talk to you uh, is because you're a comedian, uh, a very funny comedian, by the way, and you've been a comedian for years. But I keep thinking about this statement that uh, you watch comedians in cars getting coffee. Mm -hmm. Did you see the Steve Harvey episode? Yeah. Where uh, Jerry was talking to Steve Harvey and Steve Harvey was like, look. You know, when a tragedy happens, comedians have the jokes that day. We just need, you know, we just can't tell them. We can't, we have to wait mm-hmm. because it's so fresh and everything. As mm-hmm. a comedian, uh, I'm not asking you if you find anything in this funny, but mm-hmm. how essential do you think people being able to talk about it in comedy forums in, in their own way is going to be going forward? That's an interesting question because Um, you know, I'm not sure that we will with this one, just like, I don't think we did with Trayvon. Right. Um, I think, I mean, it's, it's basically like a temperature that like, I I don't know. I saw a funny video on, on uh TikTok earlier and I hate that. I just, uh, mentioning TikTok uh, in such a serious (laughs) discussion. Um, but humor is important and it's important. I think for we need levity, but there was, things. right. Well, there was this, this video and it was, um, 
some song, uh, uh, <laughs> that like, I hope you know this is nothing to do with you. And it was a girl lip syncing that to pictures of can- dogs and canine unit. And so it was like saying all this, like saying, get rid of the police. That has nothing to do with you, cute doggies. Oh, yeah. We okay. still love you. And so it's a funny joke, and you can only make that joke now. Right. And I recognize how funny it was. Right. But at the same time, I was like, I'm not ready to laugh at anything right. about I this. I get that. I, so I just think, like, I don't know that we're ever going to get, like, those, the sort of things he was talking about in that um, right. with this. Like, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, except for maybe jokes about, you know, at, at like Trump's expense. Yeah. Well, that's always, I always am supportive of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people are going to have jokes there and, and like you get on Twitter and you'll see jokes that are about how people have responded to things yeah. like, you know, whatever. Um, well, I mean, there is a lot of irony and I've seen people posted a lot about the, the people with guns who marched into state capitals because they couldn't go to their favorite restaurants. And right. now you've got people protesting something real and something tragic. And they're just right. like, what, what, what? Yeah. So I mean, there's some always, irony. I, I, there are some people who are basically saying the people protesting now who called the people protesting the stay at home orders, um, uh, whatever they were calling them to apologize. They were like, you should apologize to them. And it's like, that was two weeks into a stay at home order and they lost their minds. And for some reason went to state houses with AK 47s. Right. Like, what does that have to do with what was going on at all? Like that really didn't make any sense. And then also what they were, it's like, some people made this point of like what they were protesting doesn't make sense for them to protest. And then the comeback was, well, they were just, they're trying to keep their businesses running and, and keep people fed and keep people, you know, and like, as if that's what those people who were protesting that were actually doing. They were just yeah. openly angry that they weren't able to do more. Right. Uh, the, the things that they wanted to do. They were just fed up of being at home. This is centuries worth of white supremacy that we are protesting. This is what we are calling out right now. Also, we are not two weeks into a pandemic. Right. We are now post a bunch of states having reopened. We're in phase one in the epicenter here. You know, like like kind of loosely, we've sort of uh, uh, opened things up very, very slightly. Like some of the beaches, I think. Was, yeah. yeah this might be it. But still. Like thing, things are slowly, uh, which is also kind of up. indicative of how spoiled we are. Or like the first mm. thing that's got to open is the beaches, right? Right. Go fucking tan and surf. Yeah, uh, like it's it's insane. But like all I'm saying is to protest now after places are starting to reopen is very very different, right? Than protesting two weeks in. Right. Also, what we are protesting is centuries worth of white supremacy, not two weeks worth of a stay at home order. Right. Like you're going to get your bailouts for that. Like chill out. Yeah. And you have internet and you have games mm -hmm. and you have plenty of food and you have. Right. 
Yeah. And it, so it was people in their supremacy and in their privilege able to belittle what people were arguing for now, like what people were protesting now to belittle that and put that on the same level as just wanting to keep a business open. Right. Like, no, that's yeah, it is. Like I had a friend who was like really worried about how his business was going to survive. I'm worried about how my theater is going to survive. Yeah. I, like there are businesses that that that's scary. I get that. I'm not belittling that, but you cannot compare that to centuries of subjugation. I think it's you're just, absolutely right. I mean, you shouldn't be able to, but God knows they're trying. Right, and that's that's ultimately what white supremacy is. Right, because they're saying, well. What matters to me, a white business owner, is a lot more important than black lives. Our inconvenience is worse than your oppression. <laughs> right. And I, I, I get that that's like a controversial thing that people are uh, – I know some people in South Carolina would be like, well, Jason, you're the racist. And you keep saying white, white this and white that. And it's like, well, if you're equating – white people with white supremacy that's not on me right um <laughs> it goes back to like if you say p police brutality is wrong and police get angry it's like if i say white supremacy is wrong and a white person gets angry well, that's because they agree with white supremacy yeah that's a great point that is and a if great you point. hate that i said that but you also hate what you see happening to black people then you've got some rooting out you need to do you need some you have to do a deep dive of a soul search and figure out why that's going to why that's a, an opinion you had and you're not going to figure that out soon well that's that's a really powerful statement and uh we should probably be wrapping it up here but um i wanted to ask you one more thing and maybe this would be a good button on the whole conversation you mentioned in your episode of there it is about people that uh white people or anyone that that needs to understand more minorities have to go through like Cornell West. We should seek out them. Are there any, do you know of any books or do you know of any other sources that uh, are good for people to go to, to, to learn a little bit about everything that they may not know? Yeah. White fragility is a big one. Um, for, I think for people to see, um, or read rather, um, that's a, that's a popular one that's out. Um, I, uh, I showed to Justina the other day. I had not seen it myself, but a, a movie called I Am Not Your Negro. It's a documentary about James Baldwin. Not a Baldwin brother. And, <laughs> uh, and, um, that's on Netflix and that's worth seeing. Um, a lot of people have mentioned 13th, which is also on Netflix by, uh, Ava. You know, I'd never have heard her last name pronounced, but it's, is it Duvar Duvernay? I don't know. I've seen it a million times, but um, yeah, she's a great director, and uh, she did that, and she she directed Selma. Okay. Um, and that's something people were suggesting, but yeah, I mean, I, I there are a lot of sources online, and Fashion Magazine did one. And it is really great. Uh, it's interesting that it's from Fashion Magazine, but it's fashionmagazine.com. And if you were to just Google Black Lives Matter 
65 racism awareness books, movies, resources, and more, then you would find a really, really great resource. Sorry, could you say that one more time? Google Black Lives Matter. 65 racism awareness books, movies, resources, and more. And that's from fashionmagazine.com. And it came out earlier this month. Like we will ago. post a link to it in the episode description. Uh, yes, please do. Is there and, anything, uh, uh that, is there anything else you want me to post? Do you want people to be able to get in touch with you? Or would you, uh, do you want people to know where your Twitter is? Links to the podcast, stuff like that? You know, I, um, am a little, yeah, I, no, don't worry about okay. it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if people want to seek out my podcast, it's great, but I don't want it to be on this. Yeah. Um, cause I feel uncomfortable with, like, I don't want to like raise my status or or anything. Uh, absolutely, I completely understand. On this, like it's just not a promotional opportunity. I like I, I felt bad. I went to the George Floyd memorial service that was in Brooklyn, and um, on the way out, there were just a couple of people who were like Black Lives Matter shirts. You know, they were like selling T-shirts about the cause, and they're like half off, ten dollars. They're half off, and it's like ah, this just feels a little gross to me. Yeah. Um, I would have felt better if it was like, well, people there are going to want shirts, so maybe I can bring the shirts that I have and just do a donation only and just donate the money I make. But that's not what they were saying. They were like trying to make a buck, and I didn't like that. No. Yeah, that's – well, you know, again, we talk about the knuckleheads. There's going to be people that try and get what yeah, they can exactly. out of this whole situation. Well, exactly. I really, really, really appreciate you taking the time, Jason. I appreciate your honesty. Um, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, an easy thing to talk about, especially from the perspective that you and so many other people have. So I really appreciate you in the middle of all of your, your speaking out of the past week, taking another hour out of your day to maybe help open my eyes and open other people's eyes to some things we just, have ignored or just never noticed before it, it means a lot well it means a lot that you wanted to talk about this so i appreciate it well and this may be the first of many you know i've got a lot of of friends that i i have seen be just as eloquent as you on social media and have a lot of different experiences so you know i think it i think it's i worth, think it's important yeah you know, i mean because there are different experiences like i was saying before because of colorism there there are just different experiences that people are having. And so I think it would be good to hear from a woman. Yeah. And, uh, and hear from people who are, you know, like gonna deal with more than I would and, and deal with the talk to a, if you know a person of color who's trans, like, you know, I do. Yeah. You know, I would, if they're willing, I mean, obviously. Uh, this is a time. Yeah, I'm just going to call them out now. Emotions are high. Before I spoke <laughs> yeah. to them, I'm going to call them out on the podcast and say that they have to come on. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I think, uh, I'm, I have been overwhelmed. Uh, I appreciated you reaching out, and it wasn't a problem for me to come on. There are some people who are not going to be able to talk about anything right now. I and that's totally fine, and I, I completely understand that because, yeah. like I say, if I'm exhausted and angry. I can only imagine what other people are feeling right now. Right, right. And so keep doing it. Keep talking to people. Like, you know, I hope uh, people listening go beyond this week to talk to people. Because it's, if you're 
you're doing you're a real ally if you're talking about it a year from now right that's a great point and on that note uh, i hope everybody has appreciated this podcast if you have anything you want to say to me it's uh, lucky 10,000 at gmail our twitter is lucky underscore 10k if you have any points you want to bring up if you have uh if you are a person of color or minority or, or trans or homosexual that you want to talk about your experiences, please get in contact with us that way. Um, I think this is a discussion that needs to continue happening and mm-hmm. should be happening because we're not going to get over this shit in a month. Mm-hmm. You know, even if Trump loses the election, it's not going to be like, oh, yay, everything's fine now. There's This is going to be a long process. Absolutely. I really appreciate Just like it, racism man. wasn't over because Obama was elected. Right, exactly. Although there were plenty of people trying to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000 with your host, Evan. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. 